at the end of the sermon, you're going to have an opportunity to come up and get one of these if you want. So I know it looks like uh, hay, because that's what it is. Well, Starbucks, one of the largest and most visible corporations in the world, uh, is sometimes in the midst of controversy over one thing or another. And they had a controversy a couple years ago, perhaps some of you remember. To give you a little background, every year Starbucks welcomes the holiday season with a new red holiday cup. The event is very popular, it's anticipated, people looking online to get a glimpse of this year's cup. Obviously, people are rather bored if that's the greatest thing coming their way. In previous years, the Starbucks Holiday Cup has been red with a variety of holiday designs, but this controversial year, a couple years ago, Starbucks decided to pursue a fresh design and put out a cup that was totally just solid red with their Starbucks logo. Nothing on it except red cup. And they thought it would be a very minimalistic and yet a festive cup. Well, unfortunately, not everyone was happy about that design. And Starbucks was chastised on social media, accused of being overly political, politically correct, and aiming to destroy Christmas. And of course, that means taking Christ out of Christmas. And as the dissent grew, supporters of Starbucks started speaking out, and then those who were sick about it all began speaking out, and soon everybody was either sick of being sick about it or speaking out about speaking out about it, and then people were sick of the speaking out, and people were speaking out about being sick about it. Everybody was all in an uproar. Give somebody a keyboard in their hands, and all at once they know everything about everything. My question, un pregunto para ti. Mi gente. Why should we be surprised what a company like Starbucks does? Starbucks is a global company that every day serves millions of cups of coffee. They have over 27,000 stores in 76 countries. And in these 76 countries, in the month of December, they have people and patrons who, who celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus, other holidays, and no holidays at all. Starbucks wants to sell coffee and coffee-related stuff. They are not promoting Jesus, so why would you or anyone be upset and surprised or offended by what Starbucks does at Christmas? And my second pregunto, I don't know what the word for second is. Dime, ¿cómo se dice? ¿Cómo se My second pregunta, pregunto, why are you or other people like you looking for validation of your celebration of the incarnation from Starbucks or any other secular agency? Why would you expect the secular world to echo your values or your beliefs? Because in truth, the entire 
December 25 Christmas celebration has a secular, worldly background. The church attached the celebration of the birth of Christ to a winter pagan holiday celebrating the winter solstice, which was yesterday, the shortest day of the year as far as sunlight. Each day is 24 hours, but yesterday was the winter solstice where we have the least amount of daylight. The trees, the mistletoe, the presents, Santa, all of that comes from a pagan background. I got news for you. Jesus was not born on December 25. Jesus is not related to Santa Claus. There weren't chestnuts roasting on an open fire. There was no drummer boy there perumping. There was no Rudolph. There was not even an island of misfit toys, as much as I like that island. Sometimes I feel like I should belong on the island of misfit toys. And there was not even, hold on to your seat, there was no Frosty the Snowman either. Only Linus and Charlie Brown Christmas got it right. Charlie Brown lamented and he said, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And Linus said, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And then my favorite line, he goes, lights, please. And Linus says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown, Linus said. Now, I know what you're saying. Preacher, who put a burr in your saddle? What's going on? Que paso? And I'm telling you, nothing's wrong. I love Christmas music. I love the presents. I love the ugly sweaters. I love the eggnog. I love the gifts. I love all of it. But our present day Christmas celebration has come a long way from the biblical story. So I want to look at one small part of the biblical story of the incarnation. And it's the part right before my main man Linus read. So if you could turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. Is it alright if I read the Christmas story from my Bible? Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So in other words, he's going back home because they're doing a census so they can tax these people. Because the Romans were smart enough, they didn't kill people, they counted them and they taxed them and they took their money. That's what the Roman Empire was all about. 
So it says he went up to be, verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So Luke is the one of the Gospels who gives us this historical framework for the birth and the reason why Joseph was traveling with an over eight months pregnant woman over rough terrain, the roughly 70 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Any of you ever ridden on a donkey seven miles while you were nine months pregnant from Nazareth to Bethlehem? I didn't think so. Because that's where his people were, down in Bethlehem. So that's where he had to go. And when they got there, Mary went into labor and Jesus was born in a manger. And that word translates as a crib. Not your crib like some of you said, let's go hang out at my crib. Not that kind of crib. A crib, a feed box, or a stall because it says there was no room for them in the inn. You see, there was no room in the inn. There was only a manger. Now that's what I want you to think about now for a few minutes. This word in, I-N-N. The word that is translated in in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. That word is used only three times in the Bible. How many? Three. One of them's here in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and twice in the story when Jesus sends Peter and John to make preparations for the Passover feast. Jesus says to Peter and John when He sends them to make preparations to enter the city and there you will find a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him to his house and say to him, this is in Mark chapter 14 and Luke chapter 22. He says, follow the man to his house and say to him, the teacher, meaning Jesus, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? There's the word. Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? That's the same word. So this word is used three times. Once it's translated in, and twice it's translated guest room. Interesting. Only three times it's used in the entire New Testament. And this word is literally translated a loosening down. Kata means down. Luo to loose. Loosening down. It's a place where you could go and relax. As we say, you let your hair down, which is kind of funny because most time when people go and they say, well, let your hair down, they don't let their hair down. We tell people to take a load off, that kind of thing. This was a place where you would go and loose down. It was a place used where travelers and their beasts could take off their burdens and their packages and their sandals and they could just relax. So this word in, like it's used in chapter 2 of Luke, was something like a rest stop or a shelter or a campground. Like when you're driving and you see it says rest stop in a couple miles, and you go there and there's a bathroom and a place to walk your dog and some vending machines and picnic tables. It was kind of like that. It was not a private room in a motel. This wasn't a, a Hotel 6 that they said, do you have any rooms? And they said, no. This was a place where just people were hanging out in this open area. Maybe it was covered, but it wasn't a hotel. It wasn't an inn like we think, think of it. It was probably a large shared area. 
My ESV has a footnote on that word. It says it also means the word guest room. They're using it as a footnote in the same way that uh, Mark and Luke use it when they talk about the upper room where they had the Last Supper. That it was a guest room. So it might be like a hostel or living quarters or a caravan shelter or a house for strangers. So the other two uses of the word that are translated guest room, which we have the upper room story happening there, might be more of a large room to rent, a place to loose down. It's like a, a meeting room or a, when you go to a banquet hall or something. It's a place that you could use, that you could, could rent. Now, if you're a good Bible student, as I know all of you are, in Luke chapter 10, when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and it says he put him on his own donkey and he took him to an inn, that's a different word. That's more like the hotel. That's more like a, uh, a public house or a reception for strangers. So that's the only time that that word is used. But this word, inn, is a different word. So it's interesting to me, as a Bible student at least, that Luke, in choosing this word in chapter 2, and Jesus, in the way he spoke, they use this interesting, unique word to describe where the birth occurs and where the Passover is to be held. So in Luke chapter 2, when it says there's no room for them in the inn, it's really conveying the thought that there's no place. There was no place for him to go. There was not even a place where their animals could take the burden off. He had no family. He had no place. He had no home. He had nothing but a borrowed feed box for a woman to lay her recently delivered child. So she might have had this baby out in the middle of the shelter in front of all of these people. So in other words, it's not about there not being enough space for lodging, but it becomes more about there not being enough welcoming space, home space, a place where you're welcome, a place where you can let your hair down, a place where you can relax, a place where you can be yourself. For this man who had traveled 70 miles with this pregnant woman who wasn't even officially his wife, he had to make this trip. And he goes, and he's in this town that maybe he had never lived in. It's just where his, his people were from. And he's worried, and he's got this woman, and there was no room. There was no resting place. It's interesting to me that later, Jesus Himself says in Luke 4, verse 24, He says the truth is that no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. He had this sense, I've got no home. And then later he said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus, other than living in Nazareth with his family, Jesus had no home where he was allowed to call his own. He came on borrowed time. He lived a life for other people. So how ironic is it that Jesus, in talking about the upper room, specifically chooses the same word to describe this supper room as the word that Luke chose for the word in that his parents were forbidden 
to enter at his birth. It's as if he is saying, There's no, there was no room for me when I was born, but let's see if we can find a room for me when I'm about to die. Let's see if we can find a place where I can loose down with my disciples. And it was in the same upper room that Jesus gave two gifts more, more appropriate for Christmas than any tie, than any shirt, than any perfume, than any Nintendo, than anything you could ever give. Jesus in that upper room, in that place of relaxing that He finally had found with His people, He gave two symbols. One that represented His blood and one that represented His body. In this borrowed room, He gave them gifts and He said, these things which I'm about to have crushed and spilled out for you are My gifts to you. My body and My blood. In this borrowed room, this is what I want to give you. Because I'm going to go from this borrowed room and I'm going to go and I'm going to be nailed to a cross that is not mine and I'm going to be laid in a tomb that's not mine. That's borrowed too. But I only need it for three days. It's interesting that Jesus, who knew what it was like not to have any room, no place for him, said so beautifully to his disciples on the day before he was arrested. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, and I go and I prepare a place for you. Because in my Father's house are many rooms. I couldn't find a room to be born in. I have to borrow a room to have my death dinner. I have to rest in a borrowed tomb, but I'm going to prepare an eternal home and an eternal room for you. He had no home here so that you and I can have a home there. He gave up that privilege of having a life here so that you and I might have life there. Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as He deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which He had no share, that we might be justified by His righteousness in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was His. So the next time you complain about life being unfair, look at the life of Christ to see a life that was unfair. Because I don't know whoever gave you and I, and me included, the idea that life should be fair. Because all you got to do is look around or look back at your own life history, you'll see that life is not fair. Jesus died for something that wasn't His, unfair, to give us something that is His, to not, but not ours that we earn. That's unfair. And so while some of us are all in an uproar, that we can't say Merry Christmas and we have to say Happy Holidays or that Starbucks has a plain red cup or that now you can't sing the song Baby, It's Cold Outside. Jesus says, I need to ask you one more question. Uno mas pregunto. And so the question He might ask you is, do you desire to have that room or mansion reserved for you? And if so, then the room is reserved his presence in your heart through the Holy Spirit is your ticket in. 
Ephesians 1 says that the Holy Spirit is the deposit that we need for eternal life. You want to wear the true meaning of Christmas attire? It's not an ugly sweater. It's the glow of the Holy Spirit. So we need to show Jesus the hospitality that He did not receive that first holy night. We need to invite Him in. Because the hospitality that Jesus wants is a place in a room in your heart. So when the innkeeper or whoever was guarding that place the first night says, I've got no room for you, He says to us now in 2018, is there any room in your heart, in your inn, in your resting place for Him? You see, the awesome reality is that Jesus stepped out of eternity into time and He took on flesh. And He was born. And He lived. And He died. And He goes to prepare a home that no one can take away from you. That no one can say, oh, no, there's not enough space for you here. There's always room. Because in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That where I am, you may be also. And as He left us, He left us the Holy Spirit to now love in His name. So that's why I said the title of the sermon, there's no room for the Starbucks cup, for the Starbucks controversy in the manger. It's, it's far too petty. It's far too superficial to be upset about because the King of the universe wants to live inside of you and is preparing you a home. So what do you care if the Starbucks cup is red or green or yellow or tutti fruity? He has called you to love one another in His name. He has called you to be filled and then to go out and do His bidding. So if you must choose something to be offended about in this world, here might be some issues for you to be offended or outraged about at Christmas and all year long. Cancer, world hunger, clean water, lack of health care, treatment of the elderly, children being held in cages at our borders, racism, women's rights, starvation, homeless veterans, animal abuse, global warning, DACA children being sent back to countries they've never lived in, building walls rather than feeding people. If you want to be outraged about something, pick one. You see, our first world problems ensure that there's plenty of people out there who are just waiting to be offended over something. We are either offended or we are outraged or we're alternating. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm offended. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I'm outraged. And every other Sunday. You see, we're offended over red coffee cups, poor internet service, waiting too long for a table at a restaurant, somebody's politics being different than ours. No wonder the world mocks Christians for being upset about a red cup or a greeting. It's much ado about nothing. We are rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic when the ship is sinking. So you want to keep Christ in Christmas? Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Forgive the guilty. Welcome the stranger. Welcome the unwanted child. 
care for the ill, love your enemies. Jesus came to save, not to shame people. And you and I as His servants must do the same. It's our calling. You can't say He's my Savior and then turn away. You see, I was saved by Jesus. Not a latte. A cup doesn't determine how I celebrate my Christmas. And the way I look at it, the more people who are outraged and want to boycott Starbucks, the better it is for me. Because that just means the line's going to be shorter when I go in there to get my lovely holiday beverages. The pralines, the peppermint mocha, whatever it is. See, the line's going to be short because you're all outraged and you're over Dunkin' Donuts or something. You keep, you'll find something to be outraged over there about too. 90 cents for a donut? That's outrageous! And you'll stomp over to McDonald's and you'll be upset about something over there. You see, it's Christmas time in your heart every time that you let God love someone through you. And that can be all year round. Because Jesus isn't really and totally the reason for the Christmas season, but He is the reason for every day of your life. So we have not removed God from Christmas. God is everywhere. God can be and is wherever He wants to be. God needs no formal invitation. We cannot remove God if we tried. He is, He was, and He shall be. He is the great I Am. He humbled Himself. He emptied Himself. He was born in a manger, and no one noticed it for lack of caring. He came into His own, as John 1 says, and His own knew Him not. And if the incarnation teaches us anything, it's that God can be found everywhere. In a cattle trough, on a throne, among the poor, with the sick, on a donkey, in a fishing boat with the junkies, with the prostitute, with the hypocrites, with the forgotten, in places of power, in places of oppression, in poverty and wealth, where God's name is known, where it is unknown, with our friends, with our enemies, in our convictions, in our doubts, in life, in death, at the table, on the cross, and in every classroom. God cannot be kept out. We don't have to know everything to know that God is here and there. And He's in those swaddling clothes so long ago in an inn, in a manger, because there was no room for Him in the inn. So no amount of darkness in this world can overcome the light of Jesus. Jesus is alive and the room for Him to make home is in your heart. And then with that heart filled up with the Spirit, you and I go out to serve. Because Starbucks sells coffee, but Jesus offers free salvation. So now what I want you to think about, I want to give you the chance to come up here if you'd like. You don't have to come. We have about 150 of these. Vonnie wrapped each and every one of these with her own hands, cut the uh, hay, and tied them up. If you would like to say by taking this little binder of straw that you want to be reminded that yes, I have room for Christ in my heart not just this Christmas season, but every day of the year. And you can lay it somewhere and say, this tells me I have room in my heart for Christ. Yes, that's what I want. I want to welcome Him into this room so that I can have that room. If that's your desire to have room for Him in your heart on this earth, then I invite you to come down and take one for yourself right now.
Mi gente, if you want one. If you don't, but don't get one for somebody else. Come get it yourself. Rise up on those feet. Walk down. I know you can do it. No saying, honey, go get me one, will you? I'm too lazy to accept salvation. This is where I need someone tinkling on the ivories, but I didn't arrange that, so that's my fault. So Joyce will tinkle on the ivories. Thank you, Joyce. To, uh, I'm just going to give you my uh, fancy benediction now, and then we're going to sing, and then we'll close with that. So, in other words, this is the final time I'll be talking to you. So that's my Christmas gift to you. Uh, here's my benediction for you. May Christmas gifts remind you of God's greatest gift, His only begotten Son. May Christmas candles remind you of Him who is the light of the world. May Christmas trees remind you of another tree upon which He died for you. May Christmas cheer remind you of him who said, be of good cheer. May Christmas bells remind you of the glorious proclamation of his birth. May Christmas carols remind you of the song the angels sang, glory to God in the highest. And may the Christmas season remind you in every way of Jesus Christ, your King. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas. I love you guys. It's my privilege to be your pastor. We'll be leaving after church, go home and eat, and then we're driving to Maryland to see our son and our daughter-in-law. And, you know, we have a grandbaby bacon in the oven up there. So anyway, it's, it's our privilege to be here. We love you. God bless you. Have a great holiday. Let's pray, and then we'll sing a song. Kind Father, we thank you for the goodness of Christ to empty himself, to leave heaven and come down, coming to a place where they said there's no room. There's no room for you here. And yet he asks for room in our heart. So may these uh, 
manger hay remind us of the humility of Christ, of leaving it all. And all he asks is for a little bit of room, but it's in the human heart. And then someday there'll be a bigger room, but until then we serve him on this earth. And, and then always we pray and give thanks in his name. Amen. Child is 